Hello and welcome to the Sela Sofa podcast brought to you by the Spiritual Formation Office. I am Remington Hill and I will be interviewing today Rich Velotis, who is the Summit speaker here at Summit this week. So we are so excited to get right in and speak with him about everything that he's been diving into, talking about humility, talking about curiosity, and I think it's going to be such an exciting episode. So here we go. Stay tuned for more from Rich Velotis. Rich, thank you so much. So, Rich Velotis, we have you here today, and I'm so excited to get to talk with you more about what we've been talking about all through Summit. So, we've been looking at, um, can you go over some of the big topics that you've been talking about? Yeah, I've been going over, first of all, I started kind of with my story of how I came to Christ and what it means to behold God uh, and uh, you know, having a life of prayer. Uh, and then, last night, touched on exploring the iceberg, like how do we... Uh, connect our emotional world to our spiritual life. It's often segmented. Uh, tonight, which is Tuesday, as you know, as we're recording this here, uh, I'll be talking about humility, and uh, and then Wednesday I'll be exploring how do we not just dwell well with God, but how do we dwell well with one another. So that's kind of the trajectory of where I'm taking my talks this week. Awesome. So. This week is Summit Week, and the big thing about Summit Week is it's right at the beginning of school. We just got done talking about that. Mm-hmm. You know, we're up on, we're going up this mountain here, and a big thing, a big theme in a lot of students' lives is stress, mm-hmm. and that's actually with the Sela Sofa podcast where you're on right now is something we're kind of trying to look at is the character of God as comforting and loving and graceful. So, can we talk about stress? Can you tell me some about you know your sermons this week and how they would speak to stress? How can you expand on that? Point? Yeah, stress is a reality for everyone. So number one, I would say that to be stressed is nothing to feel ashamed about. It's often we feel stressed and we go, I'm the only one. Why am I so stressed out? I think stress hits us in all kinds of ways and manifests in different ways. When I think about how do we deal with our stress, so much of our stress is built on expectations that we have of ourselves, overextending ourselves in terms of time, in terms of our energy, uh, and so I think we do have to take uh, some inventory in terms of, am I moving beyond my limits? Am I overextending myself? I think those those are really good places to pause and have some thoughtfulness about. But at the core of stress and the spiritual life is, is my life connected to God in prayer? And, and not just a kind of prayer in which, you know, you can have, Remy, there's a way of praying that you walk out of the prayer and you're even more exhausted than when you began. Uh, you're praying for this and that and all the rest, and you haven't taken the time to actually be still and recognize we're in the presence of God. And I want to open myself up to God's love and God's peace and God's joy. And so relating to stress for me is how do we take the time to be still, to be silent, to find a quiet space, to breathe in and out, and to open ourselves, whether it's for five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 if you want to be ambitious, and uh, allow God's grace and presence to flow in our lives. Uh, And so uh, that's uh, a bit of what it is. And then last night, just to connect, so much much of our stress emerges because we have not taken the time to actually discern what we're feeling. And so we're living reactive lives. Uh, Yesterday's message, I was trying to ask, what are you angry about? 
What are you sad about? What are you anxious about? And it's when we take the time to explore those very fundamental questions that the points of our stress begin to get revealed and we're able to give have language for it. So I think that's how some of the sermons and talks that I've given connect to how we respond to stress. Okay. You mentioned limits. Are limits something that we should just know? Is that just something we should just like, I'm at my limit? Or where are you finding your like... Um how you're measuring what a limit could be for you? That's such a good question. You know, there's uh, limits is r- really important in the embracing of limits. Now, there's various schools of thought related to limits. One school of thought is don't allow any limit to, re- uh, to keep you in a certain place. And so transcend your limits. Go, don't don't allow, allow limits to restrict you. Move beyond it. You're better. You know, so it's, there's a lot of talk like that there. No limits. And I think it, that, that's good advice in so much that it speaks to uh, the capacity of the human soul to transcend barriers and such. I think that's, that's good uh, to some degree. But then there's a degree where I'm going way beyond what I'm capable of giving, whether that is financially, whether that is physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. And I, I think one of the ways that we begin to identify our own limits in our lives is paying attention to our bodies. Our bodies know ahead of time before our minds can catch up whether or not we're going beyond our limits. And so it's, all, it's often where I, when I, whenever I see my eye twitching or there's something going on where I feel like stress, mm-hmm. for me, those are often point indicators that I think I'm hitting an area in my life right now that I'm doing too much. And my body is alerting me before my mind even can understand what's happening. So part of it, I think, is paying attention to our bodies, which in Christian tradition and Christian faith often doesn't get explored. It's like, talk about your soul, but your body is like a container. But our bodies are more than just containers. Our bodies are, there's this body-soul unity that we must hold on to. And our bodies speak very loud. As in the talk, I, and I said that our bodies are major prophets, not minor prophets. They speak very loudly to us. And I think they give us some hints as it pertains to whether or not we're going beyond our limits. At your first sermon, you read Psalm 27. That seemed to be an empowering word, a word that might empower students to apply themselves more to what matters. What else empowers people? That's a great question. Um, You know, with Psalm 27 in particular, I'm talking about a life that beholds God in silence, in prayer, in scripture, in creation, and that there's a kind of life that gets uh, infused in us because we've taken the time to do that, empowers us. Uh, I, I also think th- there is something about community that empowers us, strengthens us, fills us with life. That's when I think about empowerment, I'm not just thinking about, okay, I can accomplish this now. I'm talking about, is this pouring life into me? Um, and I think community, relationships, relationships that are marked by honesty, vulnerability, appropriately so, confession, um, spaces to receive prayer and pray for others, to care for one another. You know, we, we are empowered not just by God's Spirit. We are empowered by the body of Christ. We need one another on the journey. Uh, and so beyond just our own individual time with God, uh, we also need the life of the community around us to help us to 
live into the reality of God's kingdom in our midst. Uh, and I, think, I also do think that in terms of empowerment, there is something about giving myself away. You know, is, am I exemplifying and exhibiting self-giving love? There, there is this, as I give myself in service to others, in love to others, there is this paradox in which, yes, I'm giving away, but at the same time I'm being poured into as well and empowered by God. And so whether it's our individual lives, whether it's in community, whether it's in service, I think those are some of the ways that our lives are filled with God's life and empowered for the journey. Okay, so I only know this because it just happens to be my life scripture verse, Psalm 27. I believe when you were preaching about it, you were talking more about there's one thing I seek most to to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I also know in that same um, chapter, it talks about even though my father, my mother will forsake me, you know, you will all, your hand will always guide me. Yes. Can you talk more about that? Um, You know, coming to Iowa can be hard for especially a lot of freshmen coming to college for anybody. Um, Can you talk more about like digging into those communities that Mm -hmm. empower you, even when sometimes you feel like there's other ones that negate that? Yeah, in terms of digging into that, like moving towards that, Remy, I, yeah, I mean, no, make, there's no way around it. To move towards others in community requires some form of risk. There's no way around it. Yeah. Um, it takes time, you know, and, and this is across the board. You know, I have my, my daughter is starting middle school, seventh grade, first time in person last year was all remote. and um, She's nervous about community, friendship. And, and I had to tell her last night, honey, it, it's going to take a few days and it's going to take some risk. You're going to have to step out of your comfort zone a little bit. And um, I, I think for, for the sake of community and deepening our lives and being empowered in that way, uh, there is some semblance of, of risk that must be taken. Uh, but I also think that the risk is not in so much of sounding stupid or, you know, the awkwardness of community. It's where are the appropriate spaces for self-disclosure? And to the degree that we can live vulnerable lives with one another, again, this appropriately so, um, that's how we're going to be empowered. But I I think to normalize, it's awkward for a lot of people, for some people who are more uh, introverted and find their energy by being alone. Um, It might be a bit more of a challenge perhaps. Um, but I think we're getting at, it's a risk that we must take, but it's worth it because we're, no person is an island. They're not meant to follow Christ and be on this campus alone. Uh, but it's going to take some form of risk. That's awesome. I so appreciate talking about risk. I think that definitely is something that we don't talk about enough, especially Mm -hmm. as Christians. And even here at IWU talking about that, you know, self-discovery in, finding that in community. Mm-hmm. I think that's a big thing here at Iowa. We're starting out with these kind of small groups um, on Wednesdays is something that we're doing. I think that's a great place for students to yeah. start to dig into that. Absolutely. It's a gift you guys have there. So the Spiritual Formation Office offers a rational rhythm of worship to serve as kind of a scaffolding for all the ways that God's form, God forms us. Your message seems to fit perfectly with that vision and mission. Talk to us more about rhythms and why they matter. Yeah, you you know we were made for rhythms, and there's the, there's the rhythms of creation, you know whether you call them the seasons of the year, uh, various points of ebbs and flows, uh, and to say that we were made for rhythm is to say that our lives were made for um, variety, 
there, there are times in which we need to be still, and there are times in which we need to be engaged. Uh, in our congregation at New Life, we have the five values that I write about in the Deeply Formed Life actually are called our five M's. And the first M is monastic, and the last M is missional. Uh, and we want to hold together the tension of the monastery and the mission field. Uh, another way of saying is we want to pay attention to our life with God in prayer, and we want to pay attention to our life with others on mission, uh, or our life with, with God on mission. Uh, and that's essentially rhythms. But we, we all need rhythms. We need daily rhythms, rhythms to pause and be with God in prayer and rhythms to be with others and be engaged. We need weekly rhythms. Uh, I, I'm not getting into it in my visit here, but I, I teach a lot about Sabbath keeping as a rhythm, a weekly rhythm, a literal 24-hour period where we're stopping our work, our paid work and unpaid work, which for students means stopping your studies, to, to stop rest, to delight, to contemplate. Now, I have to tell you this. It might sound like, I, you can't imagine a day in which you're not doing any kind of studies. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. You're probably like, what? Yet at the same time, I know college students that have uh, heard about Sabbath and have wrestled with it. Have they done it perfectly? No. But they have wrestled with this theological concept of resting for 24 hours. Why? Because God rested. I mean, we're, 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 we're modeling, we're, we're, we're expressing what God is like and how God made us that we're not made to go 24-7. It's impossible to go. There's actually a really good book for those listening. There's a guy, he's a, he was an emergency room doctor, Matthew Sleeth. He wrote a book called 24-6 that, um, about rhythms and resting. And uh, in my book is why I talk about the gift of Sabbath. But we were made for rhythms. It's essentially saying we can't do the same thing all the time in the same way. And if I can just go to the Bible for a second. Jesus lived according to these rhythms in which Jesus pulls away into solitude, silence. That's part of his rhythm. And then he goes back into engaging with other people and doing the work. So um, if Jesus is doing rhythms, um, and he had a lot going on. <laughs> I, would, I would say so. <laughs> uh, if you read the Bible, he had a lot going on. It's a, it's a short 33 years. <laughs> I would say um, that's what we're invited to as well. Okay. So tell me more. Let's talk about Jesus's character and maybe God's character as well. I don't know how, mm -hmm. how that lines up for you. But um, you seem to be really attuned to God's character as comforting, graceful, loving. How do you stay aware of God's character? And, and like, how would you say that we could apply that to our life? What's some advice for that? Yeah, the way I understand, as a Christian, the way I understand God's character, first and foremost, is to look at Jesus, in that Jesus shows us what God is like. God is like Jesus. Uh, and so if I want to know, what is God like? What is the character of God? Look no further than the self-giving love of Jesus on the cross. Look no, look no further than Jesus healing those who are sick and those who are marginalized in society. Look at Jesus who speaks truth to people and very honestly and sometimes uh, very sternly, especially to those who are misusing their power. Um, that's how we understand God, by meditating on Jesus. And so one of the great things that Christians can do, I think, is to spend their time reflecting on the life of Jesus and his words and allowing those words then to be the particular, if I can use this language, the particular filter 
through which we see God. Because ultimately, the Son is the representation of the Father in fullness. Um, and so, look to Jesus, essentially. Okay. Well, you really did answer everything I, <laughs> I asked there. Okay, I wasn't even sure. But all right, so I do want to talk about your Q&A session today yeah. because I really enjoyed it. I snuck in about halfway through, but here's what I did grab from it. Um, today you talked about differentiation. Yeah. And I think that was big, and I would imagine you don't have enough time to get into everything while you're here at IWU. But I want to give you a minute to talk about, you said we want to develop more curiosity and more conviction and humility. That's yeah. you know what we're doing here while you're here. How can students at Iowa lean into differentiation in some concrete ways? Yeah. First, let me define differentiation. Differentiation, for those who weren't at that Q&A, uh, there are many different ways to explain. This is kind of the language I use. It comes out of family systems theory, which is worth researching for anyone, I would say, for their own personal, professional leadership development. But differentiation is the conscious act of remaining close and curious to God, to myself and to others in times of high anxiety and resisting the polar opposite pull of either cutting people off or being enmeshed into them. And so we live in a world that's highly reactive, highly anxious. Uh, it's marked by emotionality, not by thoughtfulness. It's often, you know, anxiety is a, an automatic response to a threat whether it's real or perceived. And most of the time, we're living anxious lives. Differentiation says, I want to remain close and curious to God in prayer. I want to remain close and curious to God, to myself in inner examination. And I want to remain close and curious to others with curiosity. I don't, I think the ways that we enter, that, that's, a, that's nice as it goes for a definition. It's just like, oh, that's a nice definition, but how do you do it? Yeah. <laughs> how do you actually live into the, I think part of living into this is, number one, what I talked about in the first day. There's something about being with God in prayer and in silence, in meditation, that, and this is what researchers are discovering. They're discovering the connection between this kind of prayer and the ways that it impacts our bodies and our brains and the wiring of our brains. And I think this is good news for the... Christians have learned this and known this for thousands of years. Science is now just discovering what many people have already known, that to pray and to be in the presence of God and to open ourselves to God changes our mind, renews our mind, uh, orients our bodies. And so I think, I don't know if you can have differentiation without that commitment to prayer and meditation. But secondly, I, I also think it requires us to pay attention to our reactions. There's this inner examination that's required for differentiation. And so, Remy, you say something to me that triggers me, that says something that gets me like, oh, I, I could either resist you, I could argue with you, I could cut you off, I could just say, you know what, I wasn't offended by that, and even though I was offended by that, just to make you happy. Or uh, what I could do is pay attention to what's happening on the inside, my reactions, and then maybe come back to you with a good conversation. But part of differentiation is I'm paying attention to my reactions, especially when they're disproportionate. If, you know, if, if, if I'm angry, if I'm anxious, if I'm disproportionately or it feels disproportionately grieved, what is going on in my soul that I need to pay attention to? In the Deeply Formed Life, I talk about five questions that we need to ask ourselves whenever there's a disproportionate reaction. 
And I think it helps in differentiation. I'll just mention it here. I'd encourage people to check it out. But the five questions whenever there's a disproportionate reaction to something is, what happened? What am I feeling? What's the story I'm telling myself? What's the gospel say? And what's the counterinstinctual act that's required of me? I think if we were to, it takes time and it's hard. It takes, you know, you're not going to do that in five minutes. But if we can take the time to use that kind of inventory to begin to locate what's going on in my own soul for the sake of being present to you, I think it can go a long way. And that's essentially what differentiation is, remaining present to God, to myself, and to you, especially in a time of high anxiety. And that was amazing. Can you just clarify again, um, why is it called differentiation? What, what's the meaning of that word itself? Yeah, differentiation, it's, it's an ability to, number one, separate yourself. Okay. So, so like I'm different. Yeah, yeah, so it's often the case that lots of people don't know where one person ends and the other person begins. Mm. We're so fused into each other. You see this in marriages all the time where uh, it, the running joke is like, and the two shall become one. The question is, which one? Uh, wow. because we often, and so for like married folks, in order to be truly one, they have to learn how to be two first before they can be one. We have to come to the table with our own values and our own convictions and then learn to negotiate our differences in love. That's what marriage is supposed to be about as opposed to, you know what, you're going to do everything the way I'm going to do it. And now we're enmeshed. And so the two shall become one. Yes, but make sure the two are two first before they become one. Some IWU dating advice. All right. All right. Um, I'm really glad that you brought up in that last question in your last answer, um, talking about silence some, because you also talked today about your own personal time just this morning praying. And and one thing that you you said that really stuck out to me was you said a hundred times getting distracted is a hundred opportunities to come back to Jesus. Yeah. You said when you're distracted, it's so easy to feel like a crummy Christian. Yeah. And so, I want to talk about the 100 distractions, but really what I want to talk about is what would you say to the student on campus that's feeling like a crummy Christian? I'd say join the club, first of all. I think we're all in the same boat. When I talk about humility in the Tuesday night talk, what I'm trying to get at is humility requires us to say no to an idealized version of ourselves, that we all have an idealized vision of who we think we are. And then when we don't live up to that idealized vision of it, we feel like a crummy Christian, shame. But if we come to the table and we go, I'm broken, not, at a, not, not to, as an excuse to do whatever I want, but I'm broken, I'm weak, I, I don't have any illusions about myself. Or, I, I, or I'm, I try to lessen, I'm trying to grow into reality so I don't have as many illusions about myself. That's a really important part of our spiritual development, to move beyond our own self imposed illusions uh so for the person who feels like i'm not doing a great job i'm just struggling i say join the club christians have been struggling for two thousand years and that's what faith is built on faith is not built on everything is you know um up and to the right you know we're not always just doing the right thing all the time and experiencing all kinds of success and fruit Life is way too complicated uh, to have that as our experience. Uh, the reality is there's ups and there's downs. There's good days, there's bad days. And then there's worse days. Uh, and then there's glorious days. And um, don't get too down on yourself. So that's the first thing I'd say. Join the club. 
and um, you're joining Christians across time and space um, with that. What was the second one, Remy? Um, I wanted to talk about the getting distracted. Oh, yes, yeah, yes. Just that. <laughs> I, you know, I what I mentioned was I used to think that getting distracted in times of prayer meant that I was a bad Christian, and it turns out it just means that I'm a human being, that to be human is to be distracted. Uh, now, we could come to the table. You know, what, what I've been talking about in prayer, there are many kinds of prayers, but what I think is overlooked and underutilized for many Christians is contemplative prayer, silent prayer, prayer in which I'm not trying to get anything from God. All right, Lord, I need you to do this, Lord, and I need you to save my my friend, and I need you to provide for my finances. I need you to, uh, you know, do this here and get me a job. And I mean, all great prayers. And I think there's space for that kind of petition and intercession. But what often happens is we spend most of our time doing that, and it, and so our prayers become in some respect transactional. I'm talking to God so that God can do something. Again, there's a point, there's a place for that. What I'm getting, the kind of prayer I'm emphasizing is I want to be with God for the sake of just being with God because I believe that there's a God who is moving towards me in love right now and I want to live in that reality. But part of that is getting distracted. And so this morning I mentioned, I, I got up this morning, I, sat, I, I put out a chair and I set my timer for 10 minutes. And for the first few minutes, I mean, I was just, I was thinking about the Mets, my, my baseball team. I'm thinking about my kids going to school. I'm thinking about, oh, I have this pastor's meeting today, and then I have a podcast, and then I got to teach again tonight. Oh, how am I going to do all that? And then I got this here. That my, and, but then what began to happen, I usually have a phrase that I use that when I catch myself being so distracted, I use a phrase to kind of get me back to the center. And the phrase is usually, Lord, here I am, or I say Jesus. And it's my way of kind of reframing, recentering. Lord, here I am. I just want to be present to your presence. I want to be aware of your love. And then my mind goes, but if Remy asks me that question, I'm going to think I'm going to say this. Oh, Lord, (laughs) here I am. (laughs) But I think to be distracted in prayer is normal. Um, but it's our way of saying, I want to do God's will. I want to be present to God. I want to be present to the presence of Jesus. Um, so don't get discouraged if you're distracted. Okay, so I just want to kind of summarize up a couple of things that you're saying to get to my next question. So you're saying, we talked about routine. We've talked about, you know, being in these rhythms that mm-hmm. really help us. And one of those would be prayer. Yeah. And so also you preached about, you said, you know, you've got the one person that comes back and sees the mom. You said this in, in the mom and she's crying. Oh, I haven't right. seen you in a year. The other person who sees her every day. Talk to me about boredom and complacency about, you know, that relationship that like, is it hard to get confused sometimes? Like, and just think, am I bored or am I complacent? I don't know. But how do we draw the line? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when I talk about normalizing boredom in prayer, what, I, what I'm saying is that most of prayer is uneventful, that we don't see what's happening in the moment. And we can falsely conclude that just because I don't feel anything in the moment, that nothing's happening. It just so happens that something's happening on a level much deeper than my perception. Explain that. What, what do you mean? <clears throat> I think that to open ourselves to God uh, and to God's life means that God is going to be reaching deep down in areas that we might not necessarily feel that transcend our senses, uh, that 
that are happening on such a deep level that we only understand the change that's taking place in retrospect as we're looking back. Now, that doesn't mean that God doesn't use our feelings and that God doesn't come to us in a way that we can actually feel. There are many times where I'm praying and I do sense a warmth in my soul. Just my, my, I just felt like, like, wow, Lord, I'm, you're with me. A sense of, I do feel God's love right now. I feel, I, see, I feel God's pleasure over my life. And those are wonderful. And I think whenever they come, I don't go, oh, I don't want to feel anything. You know, I just, I receive those as a gift. What I'm trying to get at is if we only do that to feel that, we can turn our feelings into an idol. And now I'm not worshiping the living God. I'm worshiping my experience of the living God. Uh, and so boredom, I, I don't, boredom and complacency, you know, for me, complacency is me going on autopilot. Um, boredom, normalizing boredom is more of I'm here whether or not I get anything out of it, which for me feels like it, that moves way beyond complacency. It's me saying, I want to be here, not because I'm going to feel something good, but because I believe God is near. Like, Remy, right now, God is near. God's with us. Am I going to open myself up to God's love and God's presence that's much more near than I can sense or articulate with my fancy theological words? I think that's, that's what we're trying to get at here. So when this podcast released, you'll have already left IU. It's been a week probably or so. And so at this point, what would you say to IWU that, you know, you've been here for two days, maybe three mm -hmm. days now, I'm not sure. But what would you say to IWU that you've kind of been feeling the spirit moving in you? You know, this is what I'd say. This is such a good question because my... Um, my prayer rhythms this week have been pretty good at Iwu. I'm grateful for the solitude. Usually I'm home. I have two kids. I'm with my wife. We're, we're doing a lot of stuff there. So this has been a gift for me to have a kind of solitude where when I'm not preaching, teaching, or doing a podcast meeting with the past, I have enough, I have space to just breathe. And my encouragement to not just the student body, but uh, I mean, everyone who's on this campus or listening right now is the importance of connecting desire and discipline. I have a prayer that I usually pray. And this is be my prayer that I have for this campus. I pray, Lord, give me desire to seek you more and more. In other words, I want, I want God to give me desire. I want to want it. I want to want, I don't, I just don't want to go through the motions. Yeah. I want something in my soul to say, Lord, I desire, I long for you, Lord. And Holy Spirit, can you put that in my soul? But this is what, I, there's a, another prayer that comes right after that. And when that desire is not there, please grant me discipline to seek you more and more. In other words, my life is not driven by whether I feel it or not. And even though I don't feel it, Lord, I still want to show up because I know you're at work in ways that I don't even know and can't recognize. I think that's my word for this community, to stick with these rhythms even when it doesn't seem as anything is happening. 
because in all actuality, something is happening. Wow. Last question for you. So the name of the podcast is the Sela Sofa Podcast. Can you recall for me the comfiest sofa or couch you've ever sat on in your life? Where was that? Oh, coziest couch. Um, I would say my parents have this, well, it's kind of like a half couch, half recliner. So I don't know if this works. That works for me. Uh, okay. As long as you're comfortable. I I mean, it's it's just like this plush, soft, you you, kind of disappear in it. You know, those those are (laughs) the the best, best. those are the best ones where you disappear and you could just fall asleep in 10 minutes, which for me, I have no problem falling asleep anywhere. And my wife has documented this, actually. She has a number of pictures of me sleeping in most random places, and she posted on social media. It's a whole thing. Uh, But I have a gift of sleeping in all places. Uh, But my parents have this wonderful couch that just reclines. It's comfy. I mean, it takes you back. So uh, my parents recliner probably. Rich, thank you so much for joining us here today on the Sailor Sofa podcast. Um, Thank you to the listener. And we're so glad that you joined us. And we will see you next week. So thanks and have a great day. Bye.